And now we're going to focus on what the Lord has said. I'm preaching today from Mark chapter 13, and it's a very uh, fascinating passage, enough to leave you unsettled and profoundly worried. So with that said, let's, uh, let's read away. Here we go. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that all about to, is about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. We're going to jump to verse 28 because we're going to come back to the middle. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. So I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And if we look at the parallel passage in Luke chapter 21... We see that the disciples are admiring the stones as well. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. The, the temple in Jerusalem truly would have been an astonishing piece of architecture. It had the wow factor. You know when you look at a building and you truly are amazed? Wow, that's an awesome building and your heart does a little shift. I haven't experienced that often, but I remember experiencing that when I went into St. Mark's in Venice. Just being, oh, this is unbelievably beautiful. And I think the disciples were feeling some of that when they looked at the temple that day. Of course, Solomon had built the temple then it had been bashed down in 587. Then a few years later, it had been built again under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. It wasn't quite as good as the first version, but it was still pretty impressive. And the disciples are remarking, there's a little sketch of, of what the temple might have looked like. And the disciples make note, wow, aren't these stones pretty amazing? And I I've done the tunnel tours, I'm sure many of you have, where you start at the bottom right here. In fact, it's probably on the other side. It's on the other side, and you walk along the foundation underground. And, you can, and I remember looking at these perfectly cut, enormous stones. I mean, the stones are from the speaker to here, and like perfectly rectangular and cut. And you do think, what amazing stones these are. And so the disciples must have been shocked when after admiring the beauty of the temple, they hear Jesus saying, not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And that's what the temple looks like today, very flat. Um, obviously, later things got built on the temple, 
But in AD 70, it all came true. The Roman army under Titus came and destroyed the temple. First, they besieged Jerusalem for about four months. Finally, there was a week-long bloody battle where 1.1 million people were killed. And it all came true. Jesus had said, this temple is going to be destroyed. And he told the disciples what the signs were going to be. And about 35 years after he said that, it all came true. And if you've been to Rome, very near the Colosseum is this arch. It's called Titus's Arch. And it's celebrating the destruction of the temple. They've taken the holy things out of the most holy place. There's the menorah, the candlestick, and the showbread on a table. And the Romans celebrated this victory and paraded the stuff through the streets. Everything Jesus said came true. They ask two questions. There are the questions. Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? So those are the two questions that the disciples ask Jesus in Mark 13. It's all about when's the temple going to be destroyed. The interesting thing is that when Jesus answers that question, he, he kind of starts off answering the question about when the temple is going to be destroyed, but he then shifts into actually also talking about the day of the Lord, his return to this planet. So he asks, he's asked, when is the temple going to be destroyed? But he answers, these are the signs leading up to the destruction of the temple and the signs leading up to the day of the Lord, my return. And so it's a little bit confusing. You know, when you ask a person a question, then they ask you one back. It's not quite that confusing, but you ask them one question and they give you two answers. So that's what's happening here. And one, one wonders, why does Jesus talk about his return? Some have suggested, well, Jesus himself said he doesn't know when the end of the world's going to be. And for the Jews, the thought of the temple being destroyed, that's as good as the day of the Lord. So obviously when Christ is going to return, that's one version or idea, option. The other is to see that the destruction of the temple and all the signs that led up to the destruction of the temple, that was a foreshadowing of the real thing that is being spoken about here in the background, which is the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. And in Matthew's gospel, interestingly enough, as this material is presented, Matthew separates out the two questions. And so in Matthew's gospel, it's recorded that the disciples didn't just ask, when is the temple going to be flattened? They also ask, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So in Matthew, there are two different questions asked. Um, so there are nine signs in all. There are ten signs in the other Gospels. Pestulent, pestilence is not mentioned here in Mark. But Jesus said before he returns, pestilence is going to be a problem for the world. I think he means toxicity, pollution, and the rise of new diseases that are going to decimate many, many millions. 
So pestilence is mentioned as a sign, but it's not mentioned here in Mark. So we don't know when the end of the world is going to happen, when Jesus is going to return and the real world begin, which is what we're all looking forward to, I hope. I certainly am. We don't know the date, but like a good gardener, we should be able to look at a plant. That's what Jesus says. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. Look at a plant, and you can see, oh, it's beginning to sprout. It must be that spring is on the way. Just like we can look in the garden and tell what season it is, Jesus says we need to be able to look around the world, look at society, look at what's happening in culture, look at what's happening, and be able to discern that Jesus' return is soon. There's one more thing I need to mention, and is that about birth pains? Birth pains. Um, what do we know about birth pains? Well, they start off small. I've never experienced one. Sympathetically, of course. Birth pain, sorry to break this to you. So I see a pregnant mother over there about to have her first. But the pains start off not too bad. You're kind of excited. Hey, something's happening. Grab the bag. And then the, the gap between the pains shortens and the intensity of the pain gets worse and worse until the epidural is inserted. And then it, okay, no, that. So back in the day, the pains got worse and worse and worse, and the frequency between the pains got, got less and less and less. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's like with these signs, these crazy things happening in the world. They're going to start happening more and more, and it's actually going to get worse and worse and worse, and then the end will come. So that's what Jesus said. So what are some of the indicators that the Lord is coming back? Here we go. Widespread deception. Widespread deception. People believing crazy stuff. People passionate believing things that are not true, that do not correspond with reality. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many people are going to come in my name and say, I am he. I am the Messiah in a new form. I am the Spirit of Christ. I represent Jesus. I am the next and ultimate prophet. Many people are going to come and deceive many. This is happening. The world is not getting less religious like the atheists foretold. They were all wrong. The world is getting much, much more religious. Even in the church, we're told that in the Spirit says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 4 says the same thing. People are going to gather around them teachers that say what they want them to say. That's the first sign, widespread religious deception. And it's happening on a massive scale before our eyes. People following false religions and in the church, so many tears. There's going to be, Jesus said, and remember the birth pains, 
increasing intensity and occurrence. There are going to be national and ethnic conflicts. Jesus says when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed, Christian. Such things must happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The word nation is, is in Greek ethne, where we get ethnicity from. People groups are going to be fighting among themselves. Kingdoms, states, powers at war with each other. The 20th century saw, at some estimates, 200 million people killed in war or through famine caused as an act of war. 200 million people. The, the, the 21st century will probably surpass that. Just remember, we're only 19 years in. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed, Jesus says, and there'll be the ultimate war, the war of Armageddon. There will be earthquakes, Jesus says. That is found in verse 8. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes in various places. These are the beginnings of birth pains. We all know what earthquakes are. They're, they're the tectonic plates that float on the molten lava in the center of the earth. It's these plates shifting around. Sometimes they crunch up against each other. Sometimes they slip under or over one another. We understand the physical mechanism that causes earthquakes. But Jesus says when there are some earthquakes, they can be of spiritual significance. I think of Romans 8 that talks about all of creation having been subjected to frustration. Verse 22 of Romans 8. The whole of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. Is not that perhaps what an earthquake is? It's the earth going, ooh, there's something wrong here. Earthquakes are horrific things. The book of Revelation describes five separate earthquakes happening. We're told in uh, verse 18 of Revelation 18 that prior to the return of Christ, there's going to be an earthquake. It's going to be the worst earthquake that's ever happened in the history of the world. What do earthquakes cause? Well, mayhem. And wars and earthquakes put together result in, in famine. That's what Jesus says. Uh, there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. Famine is, is one of the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse that we read about in Revelation 4. The first horseman is militarism. The, 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 the result is bloodshed. One of the horsemen that figuratively rides out into the world is famine. And we read that a fourth of the earth is killed by sword, famine, pestilence, plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. The UN tells us that by 2050, there'll be nine billion mouths to feed. And it's going to be a stretch to 
get enough food for everyone. Let me talk now about something that's close to my heart, and that is the persecution of Christians. The persecution of Christians. I don't know if you're aware just how bad the persecution of Christians is. Jesus said you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors. When you're arrested, don't worry what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Persecution was one of the signs that led up to the destruction of the temple. Remember the great fire of Rome in AD 64, which unleashed on the Christian community unjustly Nero's persecution of the church. Horrific things happened to Christians. How many of you remember what happened this Easter? In Sri Lanka, Islamic terrorists attacked three churches on Easter Sunday morning. We all woke up. To that news. 253 people were killed. There were also three hotels that were bombed. Hundreds of others, Christians, were targeted. The BBC, in print version, produced a headline that is worth reading Christian persecution at near genocide levels. And the Western media, which you would think would be sounding the trumpet, is silent about this. There's a word for persecuting Muslims, Islamophobia. There's a word for persecuting Jews, anti-Semitism. There's not even a word for persecuting Christians. And they are by far the biggest religious group who are persecuted by a long shot. Jeremy Hunt, who recently lost out to Boris Johnson as Prime Minister of the UK, called for a report on the state of Christian persecution around the world. You can download the report. I'll probably post it on the church website. This is a very credible report, an interim report, but it, it makes the point that the overwhelming majority, 80% of people persecuted for their faith are Christians. The media would have us believe it's Muslims being persecuted or, or the Buddhists or other groups. It's Christians that are 80% of the victims of persecution today. And Jesus says it's going to be like that. All men will hate us because of him. He says, here are some quotes from that report. The acts of violence against Christians are becoming more widespread. The reporting period reveals an increase in the severity of anti-Christian persecution. It is an urgent human rights issue that remains underreported. And it hardly gets any attention in the Western media because, hey, it's just Christians. And we all know how terrible they are, so why worry? There's a little map on the occurrence of the persecution of Christians. 
Hebrews 13 tells us, remember those in prison as if you were there with them. That's not talking about prison ministry to criminals. As important as that is, it's talking specifically about our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison. And what really struck me about these words of Jesus, this warning, is how personal it gets. Brother will betray brother to death. Children will betray parents. And all men will hate you because of me. There's another verse in the Bible that say, people will think they're doing God a favor by killing you as a Christian. It's sort of a Howard paraphrase. Jesus said, don't think I've come to bring peace on earth, even though it might say that on the Christmas cards you send everyone. He says, no, I've come to bring division. From now on, there'll be five in one family against each other, divided. The gospel is so intense and personal that your closest other loyalties are going to get split over the gospel and faithfulness to Christ. Jesus warns us here. We now come to the most complicated section of the sermon. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one on the roof of his house not grab anything but run. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this won't take place in winter because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. Now that's something to talk about over Sunday lunch. It's referring to what the book of Revelation calls the great tribulation. All of these crises and disasters and persecution and famine and war and conflict, it's all going to culminate in a very tough few years for us all. And Jesus is warning us to brace ourselves. What is this abomination that causes desolation? Seems to be linked to the temple. It also seems to be linked to this prophecy from the book of Daniel, chapter 9. But already there's, a, there's an antecedent to this idea. In 168 before Christ, Antiochus IV Epiphanes set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies and sacrificed a pig to his gods as a way of dissing the Jews. But it's not that, but that's the kind of thing we're to look out for. In AD 70, when the most holy place was destroyed and Titus paraded the holy things that only the high priest was allowed to touch once a year, he paraded them down the streets. Roman idols were set up on the Temple Mount and they turned it into a garrison 
for Roman soldiers. And all sorts of terrible things happened where the temple had been. That's clearly what's being referred to. But it's also a foreshadowing of, of the coming of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 talks about the man of lawless. This is now in a letter from Paul to the Thessalonians. There's going to be an antichrist, kind of an end of days leader that's going to force everybody to be a, a, a legion to him, allied to him. He's going to set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is why some Christians believe that in due course the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt again. And if that happens, that also will start Armageddon for obvious reasons. We could have a whole sermon on that, but let's move on. Jesus says that in the end times there are also going to be false messiahs, false prophets, people claiming to speak from God, representing Jesus who do not, and false signs and wonders. For false Christs and false prophets, verse 22, will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. There's a huge lack of discernment in the global Christian church today. Health and wealth and prosperity theology and other versions of nationalism and other cultural practices and so much self, self, self has slipped into the Christian church where the gospel has become a commodity to satisfy. Worship is a product that we go to enjoy instead of to have. Watch out for, for false teaching, false practices in the church. Not everything that is a, a real miracle is from God. There are false signs and false wonders. That's what we're told in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, that Satan's going to display all kinds of counterfeit miracles. Revelation 16 talks about demons performing miraculous signs. Revelation 13, making fire come down. Gee, that's impressive. And we're reminded by Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan himself can masquerade as an angel of light. He'll pretend to be one of the good guys. And the final sign will be signs in the heavens. Signs in the heavens. Jesus says, in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Early I spoke about the earth groaning in solidarity with the purposes of God. Here before the return of Christ, there are going to be signs in the heavens, in the cosmos, 
It's God also sending us a message, telling his people, take note of this, the end is near. Peter also refers to this on the day of Pentecost. Yes, we all love the part about all being filled with the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on to say, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon blood before the great and coming day of the Lord. This has all happened before, by the way, the sun becoming dark and the moon turned to blood. If a meteorite hits the earth, even a relatively small one, like the size of this building, because of its mass and acceleration, it kicks up so much dust and the sun is, is gone for days and the moon appears red because of the refracting of the light. The Bible tells us that in Revelation as the end unfolds, something's going to initiate this from heaven, the second angel, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. Could you imagine the tsunami or tidal wave manufactured by a rock the size of a table mountain hitting the sea? That's how a third of mankind is going to be killed. Meteorites, it's, it's material of stars that burns up as it comes through the atmosphere. Flaming rock. Meteorites are going to hit the earth, we're told in Revelation 6 verse 13. Stars are going to fall from the sky to earth like late figs drop from a tree in a strong wind. So these are just some of the signs that are going to precede Christ's return and the end of the world. Why is Jesus telling us this? To give us more stuff to worry about as if we needed that. No, it's to prepare us for what is to come. Christians were spared when the city of Jerusalem fell because they remembered Jesus' words. And when they saw the Roman army gathering, they knew what was going to happen and which way it was going. The Christians were out of there. And as a result, their lives were spared. They didn't die with the Jews who stuck around to the end. Jesus tells us these things to warn us so that we will not be those who lose our faith when persecution comes. You know, it's easy to be a Christian when everything's going dandily. Oh, yes, God is good. Hallelujah. Bless his name. But can we say that when you've been given a diagnosis of cancer? Can we still say God is good? Bless his name. Can we be like Job? When things were so terrible, his wife said, curse God and die. And he said, do we only accept good things from God and, and not bad too? Jesus warns us here about the terrible things that are going to come our way. So that we will be steeled and prepared for what's to come. We need to be those that learn the lesson from the fig tree. And Jesus ends Mark 13 with a parable. Here it is. It's like a man going away. He leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task. 
and tells the one at the door to keep watch. God is the person who leaves the home and that nobody knows when he's coming back. The servants in the story, it's you and me, and we've been given a task to do, to evangelize the world, to be salt and light, to bring about the, the kingdom of God. And the question is, when Jesus returns, will he find us doing what he's given us to do? One little thing I must just add to my sermon, because someone told me that it was really helpful in the first sermon. I struggled for ages with that verse that says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. How many of you have struggled with that? Because it seems to indicate, but her, you know, yes, the generation that saw those first signs witnessed the temple being destroyed, but they didn't witness the, the return of Christ. So how I've come to peace with that verse is that Jesus is intimating in both these instances that he's referring to, the destruction of the temple and his return, the generation that experiences all of those nine signs, the build up climactically to the fall of the temple, and the generation that experiences all of these nine signs in the building up to the, will not pass away until he returns. So maybe that's helpful. Let's pray. Lord, this is a very disturbing passage where you tell us what awaits the world. And it's not a pretty picture. So we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and prepare us. And Lord, maybe in your grace you will spare us and take us home to be with you before these terrible events happen. But if in your providence we are still around, Lord, we, we pray for your grace to be able to discern the seasons and the signs of the times. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us from deception. You would keep us from distraction. That we would be those who are about our Father's business. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters being ridiculed and imprisoned and beheaded we pray for them that you would strengthen them lord and that you would help us to realize how privileged and blessed we are so lord this has been a hard message to hear and we pray that by your spirit you would help us to take in what is relevant for our lives but thank you for this teaching for shedding light on the subject, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I think we should wrap up. Otherwise, the Sunday...